fantasy and some flights. Exploring the realms of beer, board games, books, and bourbon. Welcome to another episode of the Fantasy and Some Flights podcast. I'm Nelson. I'm Dalton. And today we are talking about world building. World so, building. We're going to build a world for you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's like the start of a D&D campaign. Yeah. <laughs> episode one. Episode one. Let's go. <laughs> but before all that, we're going to, as always, talk about what we're drinking. But unlike always. Yeah. Dalton, you want to tell us what we're doing? We're doing something a little bit different. So so this is our 21st episode. Yeah, right? we're you legal. Realize? Yeah, we're legal. We're, exactly. We're, we're legal to drink now. <laughs> our, our podcast, we're allowed to drink. And so we've decided to switch a little bit. So what we're going to do now is since I'm uh, kind of the whiskey guy normally, I have brought a whiskey for Nelson to try and Nelson brought a beer for me to try. So I'm going to talk Nelson through the whiskey that he's tasting and he's going to talk me through the beer that I'm I'm tasting. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm excited for it too because this helps. <laughs> I like that we're starting this in like the fall and winter when like my kind of beers start yeah, coming out. Yeah, you know, we've point. like yeah. gotten out of the IPA se- season really, and so uh, so you didn't bring me an IPA, which I appreciate. I I thought about it. I thought about it a lot. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to do what you're tasting first? Yeah, I'll, I'll do what my t- what I'm tasting first. What I do have to remember though is that it's not a beer, so I don't I can't drink it at the pace that I normally That's right. drink <laughs> an episode. <laughs> don't not, hurt yourself. So kid. I'm not blacked out by the icebreaker. Right. <laughs> so so today you are drinking minor case straight rye whiskey. Um, so I started you I off with like a rye. rye. I know I know you like rye, so I started you off with a rye. This one's sort of like a beginner rye. Like it's okay, it's yeah. um in the mash it's 51 percent rye. And then it has a lot of, it's like 45% corn and like the remainder is barley. So the corn, it will taste like almost like halfway between a rye and a bourbon. Got it. It's also, um, this is from Limestone Branch Distillery, um, which is the same distillery that produces Yellowstone, which is like a really spicy one that I had a couple episodes yeah, I ago. That. Yeah, This is the 18 Chesapeake logo. That's right. Yeah, it's the 18 <laughs> Chesapeake. That's right. Um, and then MC, minor case is MC Beam. He's like a older member of the Beam family. Um, oh, okay. So like that was, I don't know why, like who named their kid minor? <laughs> Middle <laughs> I name. I thought it meant like small case. Like. <laughs> yeah, right? I did too. It sounds like small batch, right? Yeah. Um, but no, they he was known as MC. Um, this one's sherry cask finished. And so in like the nose, it'll have kind of a soft it doesn't have like a really a really aggressive nose it has like some flowery like scents but it's like very distinctly awry like you'll get that and then it has like a cherry and like so almost like a spice almost like a oatmeal raisin type of like flavor um if that makes sense like it has like i I don't know why raisin comes like forward but like that's the thing that like it reminds me of and but again it's like that all that's kind of like under like the rye the normal like rye pepper like you're gonna get that yeah i definitely get the rye yeah yeah, (laughs) it's, it's definitely like that spice yeah that that i remember being in a rye yeah for sure um, which which is what i like right i, I like mm-hmm. the spicy the uh you said the nose isn't that aggressive but taste or smells it smells more aggressive than i'm used to <laughs> so um that's fair that's fair when i when i say that it, it's because when it when i smelled it it's like okay i'm not getting first of all i'm not getting like a total like alcohol like flavor like it's not like super aggressive in that yeah, way. yeah yeah um and then it's not like it wasn't it just wasn't a whole lot of like oh like sometimes you smell it and it's like oh i can smell like caramel or i can smell like fruits or i can smell like something really like kind of presenting forward and that one like not so much the sherry will like really come through in like the aftertaste so like unlike a lot of rise this one kind of like it has like its spice flavor and then it kind of like cools down and then it like settles out and you get some of the like dried fruits and stuff that's that's like coming from the like dried cherry and that sort of thing that's coming from the sherry cask gotcha yeah it it definitely like i can feel the transition there like it it cools down pretty quick yeah i'm doing the whole you know drink 
and blow out. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't I, hurt I've yourself. I've been trained well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So like I, I can get that. It does taste, you know, rye-y. I don't know if that's the right word to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, it tastes like a rye. It tastes like in. a rye, yeah. But then on like the blowout, it definitely tastes different than like the Templeton that for I, sure. I tried. For um, sure. There's no spice on the blowout. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's very technical of me, I think. <laughs> it is on the blowout. Yeah, I think it is. But I think like that's why this was probably a good like intro rye is because it like it's going to taste like a rye but it also has like some subtle complexities and stuff and it's not like overly aggressive in any one area to where it's going to like hurt somebody who's never tried one before yeah no absolutely i, I like this what's the price point on this guy this was like a 35 dollar bottle okay. so pretty affordable yeah it's i I've, I've kind of realized that that's pretty much the price of anything that's not expensive yeah, it feels like a lot of land there, doesn't it? Yeah. And it feels like that's kind of like just enough to where like you're probably spending just enough to get something of quality and not like overspending on right. like a fancy name or a bit yeah. name brand or something. I'm pretty sure if I had a 35 and a 70, I would not be able to tell you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I definitely really like it. If Good. Uh, like, how do we do cheers? Like, since I don't actually own it, but I guess like I could go out and buy it, right? Yeah, you could <laughs> go out and buy it. This, this, uh... I don't know if I'm ever going to have a four cheers. I may. I may. Yeah. But, like, I'm going to keep this at a three cheers. Like, I, I definitely, like, if I see it, I'm probably going to buy it. Yeah. Just, like, out. Because, I, you know, it's it's not overly rye like the Templeton, which I do really like. I mm-hmm. do really enjoy. I just bought a bottle, another bottle today, nice. actually. Um, but, like, I do, th- this would be a nice one to just have and to be able to pour when I don't want something that's going to, you know, kick me in the face. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And like I said, I think it's good for like an intro of, like, if somebody hasn't tried one before, like, this is a little bit more approachable. Right. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one funny thing about this bottle, I've never had this happen before, um, but like I opened it and like I tried it so that like I could like talk to you about it. Um, and then like I recorked it and then like earlier this week I wanted to have some more of it. So like I, I uncorked it again and like the lid of the cork like tore off and like the cork was like left in the bottle. <laughs> I've never had that happen before. Get the wine opener. <laughs> yeah, that's what I had to do. Yeah, I got the wine opener, wine bottle opener, like screwed it in, like popped it off. And then like luckily, I love it. yeah, like luckily I like. I keep a lot of corks of like oh, old okay, like nice, bottles, yeah. so like I went in and pulled it out and was just like trying them <laughs> until I found one that fit. I don't know. That's that. It's not that's the original awesome. cork on the no, bottle. Oh yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> I love it. I used a plastic one this time, not a oh, <laughs> cork okay. one, so it didn't yeah, reach there. That that comes through. Okay, like, I can good. taste that. Yeah, yeah. I made sure you got a couple little cork pieces. In yeah, here. it's the fiber. <laughs> yes. I, I, I need the fiber. You in need my the life. fiber. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about what you're drinking. Yeah, now. tell me what I'm drinking. So. I uh I went to the biggest liquor store I could find. It was wow, massive. Me? Yeah, for you. It, for it was me? a lot. Yeah, I mean it was just I mean it's like northern Indiana, which is kind of like the or northern Indianapolis, which is like the more like affluence area. Yeah, bougie. bougie. <laughs> so yeah, I'd bougie. Say. There you go. <laughs> but uh so I w- I went to a liquor store up there just to kind of look around because I was like, "Oh, maybe they're going to have some weird stuff." And I found something weird that also looks pretty good. Yeah. And so I uh I got you Southern Pecan by Lazy Mangolia. Mm-hmm. And so this according to them is the first beer ever brewed with pecans. Hmm. Um so Here it's a go. it's a brown ale. So <laughs> <laughs> So but yeah, so it's actually I've never seen this before. I was like walking through and I like looked at it like on the shelf and I was like, "Yeah, that's probably going to be it, but I'm going to finish out the shelf. Yeah. I finished yeah. out. I was like, I came back. I was like, yeah. I mean, like, that's kind of unique. Yeah, for sure. Um, Do you know, is it like, is it like brewed like with or pecans or is it brewed like from like, like that's like the it's only brewed thing. with pecans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes more sense. I, probably. I don't know if pecans can ferment. Okay. No, I, I mean, like probably any sugar can probably, if, yeah, you probably, enough, if you try hard enough. But yeah, or that may be the reason for the 0.7 percent APV. There we go. No. <laughs> yeah, but it comes in at a, like a 4.39 APV. So okay. it's, it's pretty like low on on the spectrum. Yeah. But yeah, it's got a it's got a, like a dark color to it. Yeah. So like the brown ale. Is right. More it's what brown. you expect. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> go figure right but it's a, it's like an srm of about 12 um so it, it's it's a little bit darker than all of the ipas that i've been drinking the last couple episodes yeah if somebody poured me a beer and it was this color and they said it was an ipa i would think something was wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, i'm sorry i said 12 i'm in 17 so uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 12 is what i'm normally going to because that's typically the ipa but, right, <laughs> but right. i'm in 17 so but yeah it's a it's supposed like it has some malty and caramel flavors to mm-hmm. it which is kind of interesting like nutty flavors i don't know yeah like, i'm getting that yeah for you sure. are so like yeah what, what are you thinking what are you what do you feel about it yeah because i wouldn't say like it's super I wouldn't say it's like super malty. Like it's not like super sugary, like a, like a stout or something like that. But I actually like, I think I get a lot of the, we keep saying pecan. It's probably pecan, but like, you know, my grandma, like she <laughs> yeah. lives in like Southern Alabama and like she makes pecan pie. Yes, you know? yes <laughs> like, it is pecan pie. It's pecan pie. So this is a pecan beer. And it's like, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I get like in the aftertaste, like, you know, like when you have like a pecan and you get like this sort of like bitter aftertaste from yeah. like the skin of it it's like, like gritty almost yeah like a grit yeah, yeah like that that aftertaste is i think what i'm kind of like left with and it's, oh, nice. really? it's not okay. like a bitter like unpleasant like it's a really not i can definitely like i, I think i would have had i would have like if i had it and nobody had told me i'd be like what is that flavor you know <laughs> yeah, yeah but then like knowing what it is it's like oh yeah i can totally get that so i think the worst part about that aftertaste for me at least is the like texture of it mm-hmm. so if you're not getting That's that true, yeah, i think yeah. it's probably pretty good yeah yeah the texture is liquid you know <laughs> Normal <laughs> yeah, beer. Oh, it doesn't it, have a weird texture it, like washes all. all that like grittiness away so exactly. it's kind of nice exactly um but so yeah it's tasty it's um it's not like like i said it's not over i think nutty is probably a good way to describe it because that, that makes you your mind goes to like something that's not overly sweet and i would say this is not overly sweet but it's also like not bitter you know and i think browns kind of land there don't they like somewhere between yep, the like bitter and yeah it's kind of the middle of the road right type just it's a beer yeah <laughs> yeah it's not going to be super malty it's not going to be super uh hoppy right almost kind of rhymed <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the middle of the, the road first episode of nelson's smooth. rap career yes <laughs> let's go lay down the beat dalton let's go <laughs> see i think for me i would probably rank this one um i think this is right at three cheers i think i think it earns that i think if nothing else it's worth the buying and trying yeah right? like yeah for the, absolutely for just, it's like hey this is according to them the only pecan beer in the world <laughs> so you might as well try it right and I, but I don't know if I would like, I don't know yet if I would buy it again. And I think like brown ales are kind of like that though, you know? Yeah. They're it's like, mediocre. Yeah, exactly. Like somebody pours it for you you're like, this is good. I enjoyed that. But like, I don't know if I would like go out and seek it multiple times. Yeah. I definitely think that there's probably not a lot of people out there that are like brown ales, brown ales are my favorite. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> typically one side of the spectrum, but it's kind of like that middle ground where everyone can kind of be friendly. And for like, sure. Everyone, everyone likes, holds everyone hands. likes a brown ale. Yeah. It's the Switzerland of <laughs> yeah, beer. It's the Switzerland of beer. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I thank like you that. for my Switzerland of beer. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's good. <laughs> well, you have a couple more to get through this episode, so hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> get to work, kid. Yeah, you're gonna go far. What? Uh, so let's let's hop over to what's on our mind. So, what have you been reading, watching recently? Yeah. So I've been. I, I have like actually a couple. One of. I haven't done this really before on the podcast. I have a couple of complaints, and then I'm gonna wrap it up with a good thing. Whoa. You know okay. I mean? so I'm talk. Hot takes. I love I it. I love it already. <laughs> Hot takes. So I've talked a lot about the unwanted series. I've been working through that, and I am like now it's. I, I feel like I kept reading it because I was like far enough into it where it was like, okay, these are short. I can listen to them in the background. I have a lot going on, you know, it's like, I don't really want something I have to pay a bunch of attention to. So like, I'll keep reading them. And like, I'm just kind of getting tired of them, but like I'm in book seven and of seven. It's like, I just, I just want to finish it. Like, I just want to know, but it has, it just has like a lot of technical issues. Like it has issues with like forcing the plot with like characters making like decisions it's like ah, that doesn't there's not really an impetus for that. You know, I feel like they kind of like ran out of time or I, I think that the author um, had some really cool ideas 
for actually probably for world building it's probably on topic for us and they wanted to like force the characters to explore the world so that like they got to like show the world off to the reader that's a hard thing to do yeah it's a really hard thing to do and we'll talk about that a little bit later but like basically it's a seven island archipelago and there are seven books and each book is an island kind of thing and so i I like that idea yeah you like the idea but then it's like they always go back to their home island because it's like not that far away and so then the author has to like find a reason to like send them to the next island to explore (laughs) you know and it's like like book five you're like all right come on (laughs) this is this is obviously like not what they would do yeah okay um, that's a, that's a little frustrating. It is a little frustrating. Um, are, they, they, are the islands like unique or cool? They, or? Uh, yeah, they are. Okay. Like, they, like that's the reason for it is like they had all these ideas for what the islands could be. But like uh, Pendragon had that same thing, but they accomplished it. You know? Yeah, because, you know, the, St. Dane is going to the next place. And so there's a right. reason to go. Yeah, there's a reason to go. Yeah. And, and there's in this book, it's not there's not so much <laughs> like just just like an example of that. I like the end of, of just like kind of like bad decisions for the sake of like storytelling. Like at, at the end of one of the books, a character like sets off to like do something. And it's like, wow, that like actually is kind of an interesting, like it's basically a cliffhanger, you know, at the end of the book. It's like, that's, that's kind of interesting. Like that might kind of go somewhere like that'd be, let's, let's see where that goes. And so like I started the next book and like literally like immediately, like first chapter, the character basically goes like, what am I doing? And turns around. No, and <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> it's like two paragraphs in and the character just turned around. Like <laughs> you can't set up a cliffhanger and then not follow up on it. We called that railroading in the D and D business. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, oh, and then I kept reading the book <laughs> well um, yeah you're you're so far in at this point exactly you, you yeah. have to finish it exactly but the, like to its credit like the book does really well of like setting up like some really big emotional moments like there are like some goosebump moments where like something really big happens it's just the author isn't very good at like the connecting details you know like getting the characters through the story got it yeah. there's good at like where the story's going to end up if that makes sense but not like the in-between yeah um, it's a really good like overarching story yes but, like just yeah making it work making it work has some technical issues yeah Yeah. um i think the book overall is probably just younger than i am and i think i didn't really realize that until later like i think it's probably targeting like young adult or actually maybe even just like teen like 13 to 15 kind of age range and i was like reading it and i was like oh maybe this is just younger than me you know maybe i'm just like reading in the wrong it's just different book than i kind of thought so um it's enjoyable when it's not taking seriously but like i'm so close to the end i just kind of want it to be over (laughs) if that makes sense yeah Next book I started, and I, this is actually a book that I was really like highly anticipating. Um, so I started Ancillary Justice, um, which is a sci-fi book. It's the first of a trilogy, and it's the first to win like what they call the Sci-Fi Triple Crown of both the of all three of the Hugo, the Nebula, and the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and it's in it's written. It was I think it was published in like 2013 or something like that. So a relatively new book. Started out had like some really cool ideas, and I just like fell out of it. And I don't know, like I think it was. Maybe just that it's a very complex book. Um, it had some very complicated names, like so it was just very difficult over an audiobook. And I think it requires more focus. Like I was trying to like listen to it like while working out. Like that's a that's an area where I listen yeah. to audiobooks. Yeah, yeah. And it just like it wasn't working. You it, know, you, it requires that full concentration. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think it just requires some like dedication. I, f- I felt like that would be the case if I never like watched Game of Thrones when I started mm-hmm. reading through Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because there's just so many like random names. There's so many people. Yeah. And like when I had watched it, I, I was able to like put that face to the name. But if I just like started with an audiobook, I'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Like I I don't remember any of these people. So I, I can see that complaint. For sure. For sure. And it was, yeah, it's like it's like that where it's like, I feel like I need to be taking notes right now, you know, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> gonna, like listen to this book. And I like, I, I so I, I got about like two hours in. I can tell it's a very good book. Like I will definitely go back to it. It was just like one of my first experiences with that where I like started into a book and was like, I just, I can't read this right now. You know, and I've got a out great second read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first two hours of it. Yeah. And then I'll like read the rest of it. <laughs> I actually like the, 
I, I got it from the library and it like expired. So I know oh, no. It's time to like, go get it again. So anyway, those are like my two complaints. I've not had a ton of success in, in reading so far. But um, one thing I wanted to talk about in both of our last book episodes, or maybe maybe it was even the one before that, um, we talked about Ursula uh, K. Le Guin. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, so I wanted to talk about her because uh, she was actually apparently, as I was like looking into ancillary justice, she was a big influence on it. Um, so instead of having like a something that's been on my mind that's been like good, you're getting like book facts with Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> and so real quick, Ursula was the person who created the idea of the Ansible, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And we can't we can't go too much into it for like spoiler reasons, um, but it shows up in Ender's Game, so we can't talk about like what it is. But it's a it's a term that was coined by Ursula K. Le Guin. I, I, keep, I kind of struggle to get through it's that a, name. It's sometimes. a tongue twister. Yeah, yeah, it's a tongue twister. Um, it's a it's a term that was coined by her and then was like borrowed by Orson Scott Card for an element that he uses in Ender's Game. Um, yeah. So if you've read Ender's Game or if you've listened to our episode, um, you'll know you'll know what the Ansible is. Um, but she yeah she's the one that came up with that. She uh, was a, she's a writer. Um, her first award was in 1969, and that was for, I believe, nice. where there's... I was about to say Pavlov. Here we come. <laughs> Sorry. You waited. I, you tried. Yeah, I was like, should I? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so she won, like, overall, she won, like, eight Hugo and six, ne- six Nebula awards. Good she's God. Very, yeah, she's a very awarded author. Especially for someone, like, I don't know. Right. And, right? And, and I think that's partly just because she was a little bit before our time. Like her like famous books were coming out in like the late sixties and like seventies and into the eighties. I got it. Yeah, um, yeah. And she, I think she, cause I think she passed away in like 2018 or something like that. Oh wow. So, so like recently. relatively recently. Yeah. yeah. Um, she is credited with a lot that I wanted to like, actually, well, we'll talk about first her f- two first biggest books is Wizards of, Wizards of Earthsea, which I read. Um, and I read that trilogy. And that was a really good one, right? Yes. It was yeah. really good. And it's kind of that one is credited for coming up with the idea of a wizard school so she really? was okay. yeah that's like the first book where like a wizard school okay, and so she fun. like laid the groundwork for harry potter with that book yeah, yeah right yeah. laid the groundwork for like name of the wind um some of those things and was one of the first kind of um not the first but was like early in the realm of fantasy to tell like fantasy in the way of like a coming of age type of story like a okay. character growing up over a like a boy wizard kind of growing up over the course of the that's story. That's really cool. That's yeah, really so cool. she was really early on that. Um, and then Left Hand of Darkness is her other really famous work. Um, and I, I haven't read this one. I don't know much about it, except for that I know that it's a fictional planet where humans do not have a have a sex, like a like a uh, like a gender. And so they're it's like and androgyny or something like that. It mean like meaning that they they are sort of like asexual. It was it was written to address like feminist issues at the time. Like that's kind of why she chose to like frame the story up in that way. So it got really it kind of put her on the map for that reason because it was obviously like a really um, critical issue at the time. Yeah. Um, so she's credited with that. She also is credited with the idea of like names exerting power. Um, so if someone has a knows your like true name, so like Aragon, Aragon, yeah, <laughs> Name of the Wind a little bit, Name of the Wind has um, it. Spirited Away. If you've ever seen yeah. that, the Miyazaki yep. film, yeah. So she's credited with that idea. Um, that that's that a big, also comes from Wizards of Earth. I feel like she just like laid the groundwork for everything. That I know we that's why I was like I started like looking into it. I was like, holy cow! Like, yeah. why don't I know more about this girl? Like, she, you know, she a girl <laughs> about this woman. Like, she's she's amazing. She she did uh, the Ansible like we talked about, um, and then like as I was kind of just like reading through, and it was basically all these articles where people were like, yeah, she's like the best ever kind of articles um one of the best quotes i saw was that she she was credited with elevating high fantasy to high literature if that makes sense so like okay taking high fantasy and like addressing like social issues and addressing very cool yeah like that was kind of like one of her she's like 
I think the the analysis was, it was comparing her to Tolkien because it was saying like Tolkien put high fantasy on the map, she elevated high fantasy to high literature. Very kind cool. Of thing. I very, thought that was a really very, cool very way cool. to be to put it. So anyway, fun facts with Dalton. That's <laughs> I, I didn't have a good book that I read this month, so I was like, or the last couple of weeks, and so I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a fact about Ursula K. Le Guin. <laughs> I like it. So that's that's what I had. What, what's been on your mind? So about a week ago or two weeks ago, I guess now. No, it's a week ago. The uh, the new book for. The Stormlight Archives, Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson came out. Mm-hmm. And so I... Yes, it did. I, I being my very ambitious self, thought that I would, you know, just kind of hop through and reread all the previous three books, <laughs> which sums like to... like one a week or something. Yeah, which sums to about 150 hours in audiobook, Jeez. which is insane. Yeah. So, like, I, I started that probably close... Actually, no, it was, like, right after our, our last book episode because okay. I, I had just finished Aragon. Like That's right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Then, mm-hmm. and then I, uh, I actually started Mistborn because I was like, "Ooh, I want to read Mistborn again." And I yeah. got like halfway through Mistborn, I was like, "Wait, no, I can't be doing this." coming out. I, and so, like, the first book is about forty something hours. I finished that, and I'm about a quarter of the way through um, the second book, which is Words of Radiance. Okay, so Way of Kings, Words of Radiance, Oathbringer. Yes, and then the new one is Rhythm of War, which is kind of like what 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 is that? it's the same forwards and backwards palindrome palindrome yeah. yeah people think that the initials of all the books are a palindrome yeah yeah so words of radiance and rhythm of war are you know segmented by Oathbringer, Oathbringer which is the, the o. o yeah and then so way of kings so it's going to be something chaos which would be a very sanderson thing yeah it would be you know like we were kind of talking about it a little bit before we were kind of flipping through the book and you were saying like i don't remember any of this and that's exactly how i feel i yeah there's so much content there that I'm, I feel like I'm rereading through it again. Yeah. But it it kind of suffers from the thing that you were talking about or the thing of, with Game of Thrones is that there's a lot of names and mm. there's a certain like race of people that their names all sound the same. Like it's Dalinar, Adolin. I, I don't even remember all of them. Yeah. But like it just takes a while to like figure out who they are, where yeah, they are in like, the family Who's talking tree. right now? Yeah. Who's talking? And so rereading through it again, like that's pretty much all I remember. Okay. <laughs> it's like who is who? Yeah. And so it, it's really made for a r- interesting reread because I'm picking up details oh, of that's good. like why did Elokar do this, yeah, um, and like when he did this versus Adolin doing that and yeah. yada yada yada. I remember which, like missing like you like they would introduce a character and it seems like I don't remember who that is. Yeah, you know, in the first time through. And, and Sanderson does do this thing which I. I think I will like after everything is done, but he does intermissions. So they're broken up into parts. Mm-hmm. And then the intermissions are basically like short stories from different characters mm-hmm. that you never hear or that you haven't heard from again. Mm-hmm. Or some, some of them you have like Zeth, Sun, Sun, Volano, you've yeah. heard from again, but yeah. like that, it just kind of gives you, which we'll talk about a little bit later. It, it it does. It's a really effective way of showing the world. Right. So they all tie into his big Cosmere like thing like right. everything is tying together but if you have not read that book you have to read that book i mean i it's, it's been one of those things where like i every single second that i can i am listening to the stormlight archives i just yeah i can't get enough it, yeah. it's just like and i love that when you get to that point with like with an audio one of the fun things about an audio book is we carry it around in our pockets right yep. so it's like i'm <laughs> i'm driving for like eight minutes and it's like eh, worth it yeah <laughs> like, totally yeah. it's like two and a half songs or <laughs> so one of the other things that i really enjoy which i felt like was the same with Pendragon towards the later half of the series is that it is told from a third person limited uh perspective so each different right. chapter is told from a different 
or not necessarily chapter, but like there are different sections where you're hearing from different quote unquote main characters. Uh-huh. And every single time that I switch away from a character, I'm like, no, but then I'm like, you know, the next character comes in is Dalinar. I'm like, yes. Like, like, so it's like this bittersweet, like, Oh, I want to know more about what's just happened, but I also want to know more about this storyline. So he does yeah. a really good job of switching between those. Yeah. It, it's I mean, like it's like um it's like book five of Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, like <laughs> where all the all the all the good characters MVPs are yeah are they're playing. all in one book. Yeah, exactly. Like because it, it doesn't really have that problem. I don't think where like there are there are characters in, in Song of Ice and Fire where it's like I really just don't want to listen to this chapter right now. Like I don't care about this character. Yep. You yep. know, and I don't think that that Stormlight Archives has. It also has fewer characters though. That it has like fewer perspectives. It's not switching through like twenty. It's know? it's. Like three, yeah. Normally through like the first three. couple, through the first book and a quarter at least. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I think we start adding some more. Yeah, yeah. I think a couple more get sprinkled um, in. But quick synopsis. I did describe it a little bit in uh, like episode two when I was talking. I think this was my second favorite book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But quick synopsis if, for a reminder, just to promote it because this is actually one that I think is so good that not a lot of people have read. I think it's mm-hmm. just it's such a high barrier to entry because yeah. they are long books. Yeah, like, for sure. But it, totally worth it. But basically, it's a it's it's a world inhabited by multiple different types of races and also these like ethereal creatures called Spren, which uh, either like take on the embodiment of a physical or an emotional attribute. Mm-hmm. And so, like when someone's feeling pain, they're a pain Spren, and they all look the same. There's rot Spren. So like if like someone gets cut and it's starting to like flesh is rotting like red like ethereal creatures are, like crawling around them mm-hmm. um, or like the emotion like if you're feeling glory like there's glory sprint right. and stuff like that or anger sprint mm-hmm. but then there are like these special sprint that start bonding with some of the main characters that give them special powers and it's like this really cool they're, they're called like the knight's radiant mm-hmm. it's kind of like the path forward and they're supposed to like take on the desolation and make sure that the world doesn't get destroyed but they don't really know that Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I really like how just like the world is so unique. Like yeah. they have like, I'm going to save some of it for the world building, but like sure. the, the world is really unique and it, it, it just like, I'm so immersed yeah. in it. And yeah. I just really love that. So I, I have a hard copy of the way of Kings, the first one, right. And on the back, it has a, a quote from Orson Scott card. Um, oh, cool. Right. Author yeah. of Ender's Game. And where he, it, I don't know the quote exactly, but he basically says something along the lines of he, that Sanderson has like a really good grasp of both how, how leadership and how love works. And that's like what makes the book good. I thought that was like a really, he said like that's really rare in fiction writers or something like that. And I thought that was a really, really good way to point out like that's why we love the book so much because it tackles those two issues like really well. Especially because like Orson Scott Card, I feel like nailed leadership. In yeah, Game, for sure. Right. So he, he knows what he's talking about. There's yeah. not, too much love in it right but it but it's really cool to hear that from someone who like but actually it, did a good job with it yeah for sure there, there's not romantic love not romantic love not yeah, romantic there's the other love. Types, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've already done ender's game yeah, yeah that's fair that's fair the uh the other thing that i've been kind of watching more than more so than reading mm-hmm. is i'm i'm watching through season three of attack on titan now so i'm oh, finally nice. doing it so attack on titan is a great show where basically it's another great world building episode or like mm-hmm. example yeah. example yeah where the cities are you know walled in and like these giant titans that are anywhere from like i don't know nine to 60 meters tall come and try and besiege the walls and like right. attack on titan is like defending the walls basically right season three is really good it got it, it completely changed course from season one and two i feel like yeah um and then also the animation style changed yeah it did which, a little like, bit i was just like what is happening yeah it's <laughs> off a little bit but yeah no I, that that's really interesting yeah um, but it, and if you're like gonna re either if you're gonna rewatch it or if you're gonna like, get into it for the first time like now's a good time because like the fourth and final season is coming out soon i think it's um i don't know 
last I had checked, it was like going to come out, I think in December, but they typically like end up pushing that back. And I, was, <laughs> I, I checked a long time ago, so I'm sure that it's not December. Anymore. Yeah. It's, it's like a Kickstarter. You'll get it in July, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they promised it for January. <laughs> exactly. 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 But um, it's highly anticipated. It's going to be a lot of people are really looking forward to it. So me included. Yeah. 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 So we're, we're kind of hoping to time that correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Then the last thing is a little plug. So Ready Player Two is coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so so Ready Player One is a book that we've been talking about. But Ready Player Two is coming out eleven twenty four, which I guess is like two days ago, uh, as of the release. Of as this of the episode. release, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but Ernest Klein wrote Ready Player One, and it has like a lot of like the eighties, yeah. um, like references and everything. Yeah, you know, like culture go, and yeah. yeah. And basically, you know, the main character is on the quest to discover the fortune that the guy who made this virtual reality thing has created. Mm -hmm. But the new one is basically the main character has found some like new crazy technology that I don't actually remember his name, but like the guy who created uh, Oasis. Yeah, Oasis is the name of the game. Yeah, Uh, The guy who created Oasis is created and it's basically like, quote, it's going to change things forever. Gotcha. Um, But there's going to be more riddles, quests, Easter eggs, and 80 references, and it should be pretty good. It's only about like 16 hours, so it's not like a huge commitment. I feel like that's what about the first one was somewhere. It was in that realm. Yeah, so which is about Lord of the Rings length. Like yeah. the first one yeah. book out of Lord one of book, Rings. yeah, not the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's so just throwing that out there because Ready Player One was a really fun read, a terrible movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was really fun, and it was like it'll be interesting to see if it makes a good second book. I don't think I ever expected a sequel out of it. I, I, you know? I never, I never expected a sequel. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. So because we'll it, it was such a cool like concept, I think that is like that carried it really well. So we'll see if the second book is as good. If it holds up. Yeah. Yeah, so talking about like the sequels, I remember I was talking with one of our listeners, Nathan, um, and he was talking about our Lord of the Rings episode where we were commenting how the Lord of the Rings came out so quickly after everything. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what he said was is that Tolkien actually had everything written and he wanted it to be one book, but the publisher was like, no, you need to break this up. <laughs> oh, gotcha. So, that makes a so lot that's more why sense. they came out so quickly that after each other. That makes sense. Um, and that makes a lot more Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, but, for sure. You want to hop into icebreakers? Let's do an icebreaker. So last episode, we had a awesome icebreaker with Charles. Yes. So Yeah. So we got to uh, talk with him and the icebreaker that you came up with was mm-hmm. what is your favorite game to play with eight or more players? Yeah. It was a it was a cheap way for me to get recommendations for the upcoming like, <laughs> holiday season, you know? That's fair. That's fair. But, hey, you're not supposed to be with eight or more people. <laughs> no, it's ten or more. It's ten or more. Ten or more. Eight, I'm okay. Eight or nine eight players. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so we threw that out to the Instagram ethos and we got actually a good amount of responses so i'm going to highlight a couple of them that yeah. i think that are, are actually like games that we know of mm. <laughs> because there's a couple on here on that i just like don't know of gotcha we have uh k play games said deception like you did but she also said decrypto mm-hmm. which have you played decrypto at all uh no i've not i know about it but i haven't played it yeah so i think decrypto is like a fun word game where it's kind of like you're trying to give clues to your teammates and the other team is trying to guess those clues right and it has like weird polarization where like Mm. Your team can see, or you can see the clues, but your other people can't. Right. It's got some gimmicks. Oh, wait, no, I take it back. I have played that game, actually. I oh, no kidding. Now, okay. that I, now that I remember, yeah, it's sort of like the polarization is, it's like 3D glasses kind of thing where like you're looking at it. And yeah, yeah, It yeah, was yeah. a long time ago, but it was actually at a family Thanksgiving, oh, <laughs> funny okay. enough. So I think <laughs> yeah. it was maybe 2018 that I played it. Um, but yeah, I remember enjoying it. It felt a lot like code names in that way. Yeah, yeah, totally. So K Play Games and also Meeple Mike said Decrypto. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's been one of those that's like I've seen on Amazon every once in a while for like, you know, it drops down to like $15. I'm like, should right. I? But I'm like... Right. Ah. But if you already have like code names and wavelength, it's probably hard to find a spot for it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Especially now. Like there's right. two of yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aram said Obscurio. 
Yeah, that's um, that's like the other Mysterium, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I didn't realize that went to eight. I, I didn't either. Because Mysterium maxes out at seven, right? Yeah, yeah, yes. And, and he also I'm said, like looking at the, like the, the, yeah. the D, you know the DM board in my mind like one, one two three two, yeah three, four five six plus me plus me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he also said Smash Bros Ultimate which I think is fair that is fair um <laughs> uh, we got uh, Saber A thirteen eighty said One Night Ultimate Werewolf okay so yeah, yeah it's kind of like the mafia right it's like another social, social deduction yep. thing yep. which they do if you're if we ever get to go to gin con again <laughs> if we ever go get to go to gin con again what they'll do is they have like they set up in like the hallways and they have like groups that play like oh, one night ultimate really werewolf cool. or something like that and you just like sit down and you just play with strangers and so it's like it's a really cool interaction yeah. i've actually never played because i uh don't enjoy talking with people that you but, don't know <laughs> it's fine no one else in that group does either it's a bunch of board and, game and that's what i had to like realize yeah but yeah um i think that would be fun just for like the couple of people that would do it because it's like a thing you do at a con the couple of people that would do it because like they actually like like the game specifically and then like a couple of people taking it too seriously you know yeah. just like judging people around the circle yeah, exactly. i think it would be really fun hold fidatis ho fi das ho fi das yeah we're gonna go with that. Said Secret Hitler. So <laughs> yeah, solid. So Secret Hitler is good. Then we got we got a lot of code names, a lot of uh, Mister or not Mysterium, but Wavelength. A yeah. lot of those types of answers as well. But like yeah. you know, a lot of those party games. I no one said Twilight Imperium like you did. So ah, damn. <laughs> come on, team. Come Let on. Me down. But that's fine. So let's hop into the icebreaker for this week. Yeah. So this week we have an icebreaker that was submitted by one of our listeners. Um, his Instagram username is at BoardGameJer. So Jeremy. Uh, and so he actually asked this and then I asked him if I could use that as an icebreaker because I thought it was so good. Cool. And he asked if if there was a book series that I would like to see turned into a board game or a board game that mm. we would like to see turned into a book series. Mm. And so... I have answers for both of these because Do I you? had time to prepare. Uh, yeah, you had a little time to think about it. I'm... So if you want, do you have both? Because if you don't, then I can answer first, and then you can answer one of them, and I can answer my other one. Or you can just go, and we can just sandwich it, or we can go both. Let's, let's have you, let's do, I'll pick one. So you pick one to answer, and then I will gra- I'll supply an answer, and then you can finish it off. Okay, sounds good. So the book that I chose was Mistborn, and I know that there is a board game for Mistborn. Is, I just yeah. did not like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted it to be done better. So Mistborn yeah. is, uh, y- like, you consume metals, and you're able to manipulate, basically, metal, mm. depending on I what... Think we, I think we've talked about we, it. We've talked about Maybe it a little once, bit. But I think that twice. it would be a really interesting, like... I know there's a role-playing game, too, which I think would be a lot of fun to play through at some point. Oh, yeah. Because you can choose if you're a Misting, if you're a Mistborn, if you're just a common person, and you get, like, special traits for that. Mm. But, like, from, like, a war... Or from, like, a board game perspective, and I think it would have to be kind of, like, a set up as an Ameritrash type Eldric Horror. Yeah. Not necessarily an engine builder. I feel like that'd be kind of hard to pull off. For sure. But like if you could like walk walk me through the story of Mistborn and like I'm interacting and like moving, you know, my Mistborn character or Vin around the board, I think right. that would just be a lot of fun. I'd feel so immersed in that game. Yeah. And it would like be one of those Ameritrash games that I think I would really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I think like we, we we see more it's sort of like book to movie adaptations, right? Where like we see more book to board game adaptations that are bad then we see like book to board game adaptations <laughs> yeah, yeah, that are yeah. good. you know like yeah. most of the time it feels like they threw the book on it as like a skin to some like mediocre mechanics because they knew it would sell well you know right like they got the license right. for it or whatever yeah. there are like exceptions to that obviously like game of thrones is, is like a really good exception to that we've talked about that one a lot yep. so i think like lord of the rings war of the ring 
Yeah, War of the Ring is a really good one. But <laughs> there's also a lot game. of Lord of the Rings games that are bad. <laughs> yeah, we need to play War of the Ring, though. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I, do. I love that game. So I think, like, because of that, like, my mind goes to, like, wanting to go the other way. Um, like, make a make a movie that is... Or, sorry, make a, make a book out of a board game. Because, like, there's not a... I don't know if there's really much if at all precedent for that you know right like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. books that are out there that were like inspired or started by a board game i can't think of a single one yeah i can't I, yeah off the top of my head anyway i can't think of one so if you got to write it or if you got to if i got to license contract it, yeah. sanderson to write it <laughs> <laughs> which uh which board game would i want him yeah. to draw from i think and i feel like i just talked about this game because i talked about it in like the last episode I know, right? I'm so I'm, just I'm, I'm disappointing, guys. I think my mind would go to Imperial. I think that would make a really good book. Oh, that would be that would be an interesting book, it right? Would... And so it's about like if you didn't listen to the last episode, it's about like basically you you play the role of a financial institution, you bankroll World War One. Um, and so I think it would just be like really interesting to hear like I, I don't want like a historically accurate one. Like I want like a historical <laughs> yeah, fiction right? version of yeah. it, you know, of like showing like just these like really messed up characters like making these like sideways deals and it sort of like you'd have to do it like a like a political sort of book right where there wouldn't be like you, it wouldn't be a war book it would be like yeah. a politics yeah book, yeah you know people stabbing each other in the back or oh whatever. yeah no so, that'd be really cool like i think that could make a good setting yeah. at least that'd be awesome that'd focusing be really on war fun. like world war but like not on the war part on like the backstage <laughs> part i think that'd be kind of cool that would be cool yeah that'd be cool i did have an answer for my adaptation as well um and that'd be scythe Oh yeah, yeah. Cause, Scythe so Scythe one. also has like already a pretty rich backstory, and like there, yeah. I think there there's like, like lore comments. in Scythe. Yeah, yeah. But basically, like Mechatol Rex has fallen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> the factory has fallen. So Mechatol Rex is right. Rome reference. has fallen. Yeah. Rome has fallen, and then all of these warring factions are trying to you know gain influence and catapult themselves to the like the next leader of mm-hmm. uh, of Europa, or I think it's Europa. I think yeah. Um, and so. I, I just think it would be really cool. There's a lot of like, and they're all kind of loosely based off of Rushfet is Russia, right? So right. they're all like loosely based off right. of Polonia country. And, yeah. 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 Where I just think that that would be a really interesting book because it's like this steampunk-esque type era mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, you're still farming, but you have these like crazy mechs. But, yeah. You know, yeah. there's, and it's just like, I, th- I, th- I think that would be a really cool way to like dive in and like see maybe like do a seven book series mm-hmm. or something like that. And like each book is the same timeline, but from the different factions or something like that. Yeah, I think that'd be I really see that cool. working out really well. Yeah. Just I haven't like, read like a lot of steampunk either. I haven't like, either. You know, like, yeah. I know that it's out there. I just like, it, it would be a fun like genre to kind of like play into. You get to play around with technology like a little bit. You can't be like too crazy, but you can like do some things that are kind of funky. Yeah. I guess it, the closest I've gotten is like the second era of Mistborn. Yeah, yeah, that no, one definitely fits in. Bit. There's like the third book of Pendragon is like takes place like Yeah. They they got know. a little bit of that. And then like um Korra. Oh yeah, Korra yeah, definitely. Got, or uh Avatar. Legends right, the of Legend Korra. of Korra, yeah. Has got some steampunky for sure. Uh stuff to it. But yeah, no, I, I I thought that was a really interesting question. It kind of bridged both of our or two of our uh, pillars. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, board games get... versus uh, beer. No, no, board games versus books. <laughs> if you, you could have a board game that would be a beer. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <Definitely>. Ooh. <laughs> no, that's one you have to think about. That's one you have to think about. But yeah, thank you, uh, Jeremy, board game Jer. That was a that was a fun question. To think yeah, about. it was awesome. So let's uh, let's hop into world building. Let's so it, <laughs> the topic of the day, the topic, the of, topic the day. of the day. So Dalton, you want to give us a brief synopsis of what world building is? Yeah, sure. So like you know, topic we're talking about, it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory just in the name, right? But is fairly like nuanced 
once you start getting into like what makes for good and bad world building, right? So we're I agree, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about anything. We're talking about basically the setting is like another way to think of it. Yep. Um, and so if you're t- if you're like take uh take Friends as like a show, right? Yes, it's set in New York City, like the show Friends. I wouldn't know, so oh, that's fine. Okay, well, I'm <laughs> explaining it to you. It's set in um in New York City. Yeah, yeah. Um, but world building takes place in like the specific apartments that they live in, right? It's yeah. taking place in like the coffee shop that they always go to, right? Like there's 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 characters that recur there, and there's like there's like a specific couch, right? And it's iconic on like the show and stuff like that. So those details get brought in to make this like story happen in this like very specific place that like the readers or the, and, and the viewers or whoever can like also connect with. So it's more than just, just strictly the setting. It's like everything that's going on where like the story is taking place. And I think a lot of good writers would have all of this kind of fleshed out mm-hmm. before they start writing the book necessarily. So for sure they, they kind of understand what the world is. They know what's going on. And I know Sanderson does this a lot, Yeah, right? Where he, he knows what's going on on the other side of the continent, but he doesn't, tell us like we we don't know right right but he he, he's able to do that um in a sense that like he just has this fleshed out world which allows him to bring in elements from different parts of the society to Mm -hmm. like fill in story or to like add in additional stories i also think of this as like if you're good at world building, like this would be a phenomenal tool to have as like a game master for like a D&D oh, for sure. or a Pathfinder yeah. session. It's because like, you know, we've we've dallied with this trying to build our own world and it's not easy. No, it's so <laughs> like, hard. It's it's really hard. It's really hard to have unique ideas, but and I think a lot of the ideas and it's like the details in the world that really bring it to life. Yeah. So Yeah. I think world building is one of those things where like you can read a book that has like poor world world building and it will feel like something is wrong and it'll be kind of hard to put your finger on. Right. You know, but it'll just feel off a little bit. Um, and then like ones that have, that are really good at it. They don't, they can't carry the story by themselves. Like a good world doesn't make the story, but if it is a good story and it's told also alongside like really good world building, then it becomes like extremely memorable, right? It like locks you in. Absolutely. And I, I think the MVP of this is Brandon Sanderson. I mm-hmm. I think he's probably my favorite in that sense where he like brings in a lot of elements. All of his elements are unique. And whenever I'm reading a Sanderson novel, I think because his world is so unique, I just feel, I, I said it earlier, I feel so immersed in mm-hmm. the world. Like I feel like I, I, I kind of understand the religions. I understand what's going on. I understand the politics of stuff. Um, whereas like there, there are some other novels which I really enjoy the story, but I'm not necessarily immersed in the world. I, it's like it's it's they're telling me the story. I'm not getting immersed into the story. If that yeah. makes any sense at all. No, for sure, for sure. I think like when we did our magic systems episode, like episode four, we talked a lot about Sanderson because like magic systems are like where he really shines. Um, and I think this is or one of the areas where he really shines. I think world building is the other one. I think this is like his his two main strong suits as, as an author. Were there other, like, just as you were, like, I don't know, thinking about this topic or preparing for this episode, were there other, like, I guess, big iconic names that came to mind for you when you think about, like, really good world building? So I think Rowling does a good job. Um, J.K. Rowling with mm-hmm. Harry Potter. Like, that, I mean, it's just, it's gotten so iconic there are theme parks after it. I mean, oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, like, the story is really good, but also just, like, the world where you get immersed into Hogwarts. You get, like, and yeah. it's kind of interesting because it's, like, People the world. People take tests to know what house they're in. Like, yeah. you succeeded in world building. Yes, you, you, know? you really <laughs> did. And it, it, it's really interesting because it's it's the world that we know. It's London. It's England, right? Right. But it's the behind-the-scenes world mm-hmm. that, that you know. I, I have a couple more. What what do you got? I think, like, that one's, that one's obvious. Um, sorry. That, I say Damn, that's, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, that's obvious, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> fucking easy. Yeah, okay. Cop out. Cool. No. <laughs> didn't, didn't mean that. I mean it that way. I think that one's natural. I think it, it's definitely on my list as well. Like other big names, like Star Wars is, is right up there at yep. the top, right? Um, I think Star Wars has like a really interesting, like good and bad, which I, I want to get into, but like not right now. Yeah, okay. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. I also had, I had Jurassic Park on there. Oh, I know that's yeah. Like, that's not like one. an obvious one, but I just, yeah. I, like it's one where it's like, that's such a cool idea. And it's like, it's a good world building exercise of like, if this was true, what would happen, you know? Yeah. And then like all of the decisions that fall out of that feel very like natural. And, and the world building just really supports the story. It fits in like this really satisfying piece of a puzzle. You know? Yeah. And I think that's a, that's an important distinction that we have to make is that I think of world building into two kind of camps mm-hmm. the first being a completely new world it's middle earth it mm-hmm. is lord of the rings it's the shattered yep. planes on in yep. stormlight archives yeah it's a planet dune where and yeah. then the other camp is modifying a current world so like friends right mm-hmm. or jurassic park like that right. happens on earth in like a normal setting it's just on a remote island right and typically the one the, the world building that is you know the the earth world is a little bit different the the mesh that i have here which i thought was another good example is pendragon mm-hmm. he created 10 worlds right where 10 different territories that the main character bobby pendragon will go to and he gets to run through this world building episode every single time and each one of them is pretty unique mm-hmm. it's kind of fun it's kind of interesting and like that's one of the things that i really enjoyed you know listening or reading through pendragon series the first time is like oh cool they're going to ibarra what is ibarra like yeah. i just want to know yeah, what that is that yeah so i i i think of world building as one of the topics that i really enjoy in a book um i just yeah like there there is an overload of world building like you don't oh, want to sure. like throw <laughs> so many facts at somebody that it's like oh the sun rises at 43 degrees and it's like okay i don't care about that but yeah. like i the more detail that you give me I think I'm probably more okay than a lot of people because I just love that. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I really enjoy world building. <laughs> I just, yeah, like I, I, I love it so for sure. I, another one that like appeared on my that it was on my list that that I remembered when you when you were talking about that sort of like Earth mesh, um, how to train your dragon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like it's like a random. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's not like iconic or something. Yeah. It's like one of the smaller ones, but that had such a cool world you know it was it, it was like such a cool like okay it's gonna be like like nordic peoples yep. like meet yep you know dragons but like they're not gonna be like normal dragons they're gonna be like quirky and like different types and they're gonna be like you know fun and animated that that was a book first round right? never read it but oh i did not know that yeah yeah <laughs> um and i don't know I, that one's always like I, I that's another one where it just uh you, you use the um in our last board game episode you use the term ice skating you know, where yeah. it just like yeah, yeah. It felt like it just fit and was right, you know? Just, yeah, it worked. Yeah. yeah. From a world building aspect, I think that, that one knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. Yeah. So there there are a lot of like world building is such a broad topic. Yeah, <laughs> right. For sure. Right. So I I have a couple of things written down that I I just like was brainstorming things that I consider part of world building. Okay. Yeah. Um I have like magic, which we talked about, but For like sure. I think magic is definitely a part of world building. So like, you know, how does magic shape the world? Is it there's this weird cavern that nobody knows why it's there. It's definitely created magically because the walls are super smooth or something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, is it hard versus soft? Is it banned? Are you gonna get killed if you use magic? That's mm. a huge <laughs> thing about the world, right? And right. I, I, I've kind of expanded I don't know if you did, but I kind of expanded world building to not necessarily natural features but also kind of like the politics and the religion oh absolutely yeah everything that kind of goes into can you you know sim drop yourself into the world and Mm -hmm. understand how to interact yeah for sure like alongside magic like what technology is available you know um that is both in a like sci-fi sense like sometimes like 
in a, we've talked about it in like a sci-fi sense, like technology is the quote, like magic system. It's just like a different way to explain it, but it's accomplishing the same thing. So it can mean that, but it can also mean the setting of Harry Potter is again, very different from the setting of like Name of the Wind, right? Like they're sort of like feudal, feudal age, like technology versus like yeah. modern day technology, even though technology isn't the quote magic system, yep. you know, it's still like an important part of the, of like the setting. Um, I think you're absolutely right that like nations, geographies, um, governments, um, economies can play a really big part of uh, world building. Absolutely. Um, and and they, things like that, the reason that, that it, it's not, again, you don't want to like sit down chapter one and like read through like encyclopedia of like how this world's economies work, right? Um, but you can notice like, okay, does the economy, does it explain or supplement the uh, the story, right? As an example, like Red Rising, which is like, it's a book I we love, we talk about a lot. Like it gets to the level of like who takes away the waste, you know, like who does the farming and stuff like that. Like that's an important, it supports levels of like oppression, right? And levels of like a hierarchy. Yeah. You know? it, yeah. to help tell the story but it's like it, it's done in a way where it's like okay this, there is a hierarchy but there's like a reason for it and it's believable yeah and you can sit there and when pierce brown writes a like a sentence saying you know like a red walked by you know what their story is mm -hmm. almost like you don't know their specifics but you kind of know the general idea of where they've been and what they do for you know how to feed their family and everything like that yeah for sure i think another one is like religion mm -hmm. so like you can have anything from like ender's game where the main religions are like muslim and catholic right right to made up religion so like in uh mistborn they worship mistborn or they they um, they mm -hmm. worship the Lord ruler. He is God. Yeah. Right. And yeah. how, how does that play? Like, because if you're, if you're looking to, this is pretty early in Mistborn, so it's not like a spoiler or anything, right. but if you're looking to overthrow the Lord ruler or like a king, that's one thing. But if you're looking to overthrow God, yeah. that's another yeah. like, whole thing. It's a very different thing. Then I think one of the most interesting parts of world building that I like took a lot of notes on that I really wanted to dive into okay. is weather weather yeah so i think weather does such a good job because we can relate to weather right like we understand especially living huh. in the midwest right yeah. <laughs> like, we know and love weather yeah. um but like we we know what snow is we know what storms are we know what that is mm. and there there are stories where like i don't think aragon ever really mentions or the inheritance cycle yeah, ever really right. mentions the weather at all yeah like right? maybe it's raining in a battle scene every once in a while or yes. something maybe and so it, it doesn't really play the factor which like aragon is a pretty light-hearted fantasy novel mm -hmm. and paulini was 16 when he wrote it which is phenomenal it's a great book it's a great story right but like i don't feel like um i'm as immersed into aragon as i am in like to dune where like dune goes into detail about the storms about right. the sandstorms about kind of what's going on mm -hmm. and i can i can like get into that and understand yeah that's Our, a really good point especially since like weather is kind of universally I guess relatable, like you know, and yeah, I think it's definitely part of like every once in a while, like an author will come up with like a weird weather scenario, you know. But like it's being pieced together generally with like characteristics I understand, and so I, I think you're right. It helps like the reader kind of become a part of the story, and like oh, I could see myself standing in a sandstorm. Like I, I can envision what that would look like. It, it really helps you immerse. So yeah, like for sure. in Mistborn, there's a lot of mist around. Yeah, and I've been in fog. I've been in mist, and I, I yeah. can like I can picture that a little bit easier, and it just helps me bring myself into that world. Yeah, or like in Game of Thrones, it's super cold. Yeah, above <laughs> the wall, right? Like, right. and I can understand that when you know Jon Snow is just voyaging out into the north, into the uncharted lands of the north, and he talks about how cold he is. Like, I can feel that. Yeah, in my bones for sure. So I like I think weather is one of those that kind of separates the good from great. Okay. world builders yeah because and it's not 
it doesn't have to be an integral part of the story, but as long as it's described and okay. So I, I keep thinking about this and I keep thinking of how this would make like a really good, like crossover, like how to like world build for DM slash how to like, <laughs> but like, and I, I try and do that when I'm DMing is like describe the weather. So like, yeah. players are more immersed. <laughs> and, yeah. Like, that so, makes sense. So like, I keep going back to that, but I, I think it's really interesting when authors describe the weather and then when authors put in situations where characters in their story need to interact with weather. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, and here, here we go going back to the Stormlight Archives. Like the <laughs> it's storm, a natural transition yeah, here. Storm is in the name. It's in right? the name. <laughs> so they have There's these, a reason for that. Yeah, they have these things called high storms where the high storms are these crazy powerful thunderstorms mm-hmm. that come through every once in a while and just like destroy everything and like these things are so powerful that there's like the grass in the land has like evolved so that when the high storm is coming the grass like re- like retracts into the like soil yeah right so it goes nope i'm out <laughs> yeah it goes nope i'm out and it's just like they every single character in the book has to build their life around when the high storm is coming right and they have to you know shelter up and this happens every couple of weeks and mm-hmm. it's just like it's like oh and how he like weaves that into okay the high storm is coming how does that play into religion how does yeah. that play into justice how does that play into because they will they'll do the thing where they they don't have to kill someone they will they they think the god is providing the high storm so they will string someone up by their feet in the high storm and let god decide if they live mm-hmm. right and so it, it's just like i love weather and how it like can interact with world building and how great authors can like mesh it into their story yeah that's a that's really cool i I like that a lot and i love like when when you're talking about there one of the great one of the signs of really solid world building is when something like weather like you said starts to get outside of influencing just weather and you start as as a as an author they start showing you like here's how it can influence things out kind of outside of its normal because otherwise like if I if I'm reading a book and everyone's acting the way that I think they're going to act, it's sort of like normalized to like my experiences and stuff. But you're totally right. If if everyone grew up in a world where like everyone could turn invisible, you know, on on yeah. on a whim, yeah, yeah. then like they would have a completely different set of justice of of like laws. They would have a completely different sense of morality, maybe, and religions, and everything would be totally different. Um, and the author needs to kind of like play that out. And so a simple change, like hey, there's a hurricane level storm that occurs every two or three weeks that needs to play out through the society yeah and i think that's a really cool point like yeah no i'm now i'm just thinking about that how if you change one little thing what what is the ripple what's the butterfly effect right exactly so like and it needs to play out or else it just seems like cheap yeah it just seems like hey you drop that in there it's like oh hey like yeah there's everyone can go invisible it's like okay cool but like there's no like there's got to be a religion around that there's got to be you know, laws around that. And just like, how do, how do you as an author or how do you as a reader want to see that evolve? Yeah. That's a really cool point. Yeah. It it definitely ups the immersion. Yeah. Definitely Uh, makes me want to think about, you know, world building (laughs) like a D&D setting. It's like, okay, we're like, this is a cool idea. I'll just drop it in. Players will think it's cool. Right. But then it's like, okay, no, it actually has to have an effect. It has to have an effect. Yeah. Everything has to be different. I, I love that you chose like one sort of element to like deep dive into because I also chose an element to oh, kind of awesome. deep dive yeah. into. What is it? So I, big part of world building language, right? Spoken. Okay. Like, yeah, like yeah, what yeah. is spoken makes a really 
big deal. And what is also specifically not said is also a really big deal. Yeah. Right. He who should, shall not be named was a really big deal. It really. Oh, Harry yeah. Potter, no, I didn't right? even think about that. You know, so but like, yeah, that is completely world building. Right yeah, there. absolutely. It's an absolutely an element of world. building. it could it could. And one reason, you know, it is it can be stripped from the story. It doesn't matter. Right. It can be taken out and the story still like functions completely fine. But the fact that it's there makes it a better story. So like, are is everyone speaking like a common language? Are they speaking like broken languages? You know, is anyone able to communicate with anybody or like, are they going to run into situations where um, they're not going to be able to be able to communicate with someone? No. Yeah. 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 And I, the, the, my initial thought was uh, going to Ender's game where mm. everyone kind of speaks English at battle school or the common language, but then there's like uh, Bonzo or Bozo uh, yeah. <laughs> Madrid who like will speak Spanish and there, there is Spanish spoken. And I feel like Spanish is spoken when it's a very intimate moment mm. in Ender's game. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like it's one of those words. It's not a new world. It's the existing world that is. And if you know and understand Spanish, you can understand what they're actually saying. They usually translate it for you. Mm-hmm. I think Orson Scott Card does a good job of utilizing language to uh, convey emotion in that sense mm-hmm. where everything is done in English. But if something is spoken in Spanish, it's passion. Like mm, yeah. it, he, he, you know, Bonzo, and there's a couple other characters that speak Spanish, uh-huh. um, where they like they implement, and when they're caught up in the moment, they speak Spanish, and you you can kind of feel, even if you don't understand what they're saying, you can kind of feel the emotion coming through mm-hmm, from sure. them speaking a different language, for sure. And even like authors that will make up languages for like and maybe they're like writing it specifically or maybe they're just saying they're like speaking in like blank language um, but oftentimes they have like a connotation they you know it's either like a subdued and like rigid language or it's a very fast and emotional language like spanish is or something like that um, and that can add like a lot of depth and a lot of like connection to like kind of the cultures right language is often very like strongly linked to a culture of a society yeah bringing back to stormlight because that's that's what i want to do with a podcast about um the parshindi which are like they're like slaves but they're also kind of what your the 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 high races are fighting against mm-hmm. they they have a language where emotion is conveyed through cadence and song mm-hmm. which i think is just a really interesting mechanism so like they're all their words are the same but depending on if they're entertained they say it in a different like rhythm right and so like utilizing even rhythm which i just like and again i think i said it i was like i don't remember much about this story so i'm really hoping that they go into more and i think i think what we're gonna see is a lot of in rhythm of war is a lot of more about parshendi yeah because it's you know when they're fighting they're singing a tune in cadence Mm -hmm. and they're you know they're they're fight they're singing the war song Mm -hmm. or they're they say it to amusement like and that's actually how it's described in the book is like she said to amusement or in the amusement tone or something like that yeah so you can convey emotion through like that i just thought that was a really interesting like utilization of language yeah that i never thought of yeah for sure that's in a similar vein um name of the wind has a uh, culture where they speak a normal language that everyone can understand but they convey emotion through like a sign language right? oh yeah i remember that yeah. yeah and so like sort of just the i think it's actually now that i'm thinking about it it might actually be in like the next book right it's not named what's the book after name of the wind word or words of radiance, words no. of radiance. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh wise man's fear yeah that wise one. man's fear yeah there we go we're good um wise man's fear like and, and so like the way that they interact like they come across as like stoic and reserved and like better than thou to like everybody else but it's actually just that they aren't people aren't picking up on their emotions right they speak in like a monotone and they show emotions like with their hands they're also able to like communicate with their like sign language and like show their emotions to people without talking right whereas like sometimes like you and i in conversation like we have to read that off of like facial expression they have like a very explicit like here is what i am feeling and they can like sign it to each other 
kind of thing. And so like just the way that that plays out in their culture and then also in the way that like their culture interacts with other people like makes for a really great world, you know. So so that reminds me of like Aragon uh, or the inheritance cycle, right? Uh-huh. Where like they all have a common language that they're speaking, but then they also have this ancient language that can that controls the magic in the system, but uh-huh. you cannot lie in the ancient language. Oh yeah. If you say something and Brom, like Aragon's teacher, kind of demonstrates this when he tells the bird, a bird, and everyone can understand the, or every like non-cognizant creature can understand the ancient language. Mm-hmm. He tells the bird, I'm not going to harm you, and the bird flies down because you cannot lie. You cannot say, mm-hmm. I'm going to harm you, and then harm them. Right. And so I think that's really cool. And then like the culture that's built around that, like what we were talking about, is that the elves their native tongue that they like to speak in is the ancient language. Mm-hmm. But they are very tricky with how they say. They speak in a lot of non-absolutes mm-hmm. where, you know, they say, I, I don't have an example, but they, they'll, they'll say something and mean something else. So they'll, they'll speak in like in, in ways that it can be interpreted differently so that they can quote unquote lie, mm-hmm. I guess that, yeah, yeah. that, that way. So that, that's a whole culture that's kind of revolved around speaking a language where you're not allowed to lie. Yeah. And how, how do they interact? And when they're interacting with other races in Allegasia, like other races kind of hate interacting with them because they are never like, you know, this is mm. what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And that's just a culture of how they've been brought up because when they're speaking their native language, they can't, yeah (laughs) they can't can't say that and so they're like oh you know maybe we'll do this maybe we'll do that and it's super frustrating to anyone interacting with them yeah um the other like kind of flip side of this like we've been talking about how does like language influence the world um the flip side of that is how does the world affect the language um and that's something that like specifically sanderson is like really good at um, yeah. which is like this episode's turning into another like advertisement for Sanderson and I'm okay you know? with that <laughs> I'm okay with it like he, he he's really good at it um but he um he'll add little like basically like curse words or like swear words Krim. <laughs> right, exactly <laughs> um that are like that are like specific to the like world and it makes like so much sense it's like why would like somebody say like damn it you know like that's yeah. not like yeah, yeah. there's no reason for that and so like Mistborn they'll say like rust right they'll say like yep. like this rusting like piece of whatever you know and like that's how they curse like that's how they show like which is emotion. an awesome way to curse because yeah. everything's built around metal exactly yeah. yeah so like it's like oh that guy totally makes sense like that's why they say that um yeah storm might they they'll use like storms right or they'll say like yeah. um storm father yeah they'll buy the storm father <laughs> or whatever and they'll like invoke the names of like the different like heralds or whatever and it's like okay like you're able to just like by this simple like your character needs to show emotion anyway you may as well let the world affect the language that they speak and that just kind of again kind of helps draw the reader into it i think it's just like like when i started noticing that he was doing that i was like why aren't more people doing this like this makes so much (laughs) you know sense yeah i think it's just like part of it he's just good at it like it just like when you hear the character like and you after you read like you know your third like series and like a sanderson novel it's like oh what's like the curse word in this world you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like say it and you're like oh okay like that's it's merciful domi or whatever in this yeah. book my uh one of my coworkers pointed me to a subreddit there's there's a subreddit i think it's shit posting uh-huh. like that's a common term yeah but it's called crim posting nice and it's just all like shit posting sanderson memes <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh this is awesome oh, I love that. so uh, yeah no it's, it's it's fantastic i've definitely subscribed and love that nice i, I have to not click on spoilers now because I haven't oh, you have read everything. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's tricky. So those are some elements of like really good world building. I think if you like start to break into some of those things individually, you start to realize where world building falls apart for some authors. You know, yep, um, and where where it can start to get bad. I think the like 
my best example of really bad world building is the Phantom Menace. I think that is like an example of just god awful world building. And, okay. and part of it is like it's almost amazing that it is so bad because like it has pod racing <laughs> <laughs> and so like it should be good right that should be enough to like make it good but it's not like it over explains so data. much so much that just like is not needed right like you start out and like contrasted to like the first like star wars a new hope where you're like you're dropped into the middle of something and you like instantly understand like okay there's like a civil war going on like that's really all i need to know and there's like there's like a senate that's like getting dissolved because of this like massive weapon that's being created like that's really all i need to know and it like just gives you like just enough for you to like feel like and then it just shows you the world right it shows you yeah luke having to like work on the like whatever they're called the water collection things that are yeah, yeah you know yeah. like and, and he's having to like work on these droids and you get this feeling of like oh this is like a society where like like they're, they're a space society but they have to reuse things you know and they're like almost kind of poverty driven and there's this huge underground and like you kind of you're just like shown all of that as opposed to you know the the, the classic complaints about phantom menace that there's trade agreements that you just too good it's (laughs) (laughs) that there's mitochlorians that you're like i just didn't need an explanation yeah i didn't need this yeah um that there's like this like senate thing going on and you get these scenes about like emotional speeches that you're like i'm i'm just not connecting with like what's going on in the senate right now it's not integral there was an episode where we kind of talked about this where you know episode four jumps into a galactic war mm-hmm. whereas like episode one jumps into trade disputes and it's just like okay that's too much like i, right. I don't care i want to mm-hmm. see lightsaber fights i want to see that kind of stuff in yeah. a movie but like you're showing me politician negotiations and I hate sand. Well, that's right. actually an attack of the clones, I think. Yeah. But like, <laughs> yeah. But, but like one of the main plots is that there's a character that's a slave, but like there are ready access to droids to do like menial tasks. So it's like, why are you paying money to like own a slave and then like feed them and like house them? Like yep. that's a lot of stuff that you just don't have to pay for yep. with a droid. And there's like droids everywhere. So like just the whole thing falls apart. Right. And it's like, it doesn't pass a red face logic test. And then again, like, we get back to like okay if there are like basic changes in the that you've made from like a normal human world like how are they affecting like the way that the story is playing out in the world and those things just like aren't matching up you know where again like trade agreements it's like i i this isn't this isn't a part that like affects i guess the characters in the story the overall thing yeah yeah you know and the um the ability to like to use the force and like have space travel and stuff like that like that's not playing out in anakin's life you know until like like later yeah absolutely i think that this is actually a really good point into where bad world building can really negatively affect a great story yeah for sure and i i will stand by i think that the prequel story is a better story than this the the og the original trilogy Mm -hmm. where i i love the prequel trilogy i hate the pre okay no i don't necessarily hate the prequel movies they're just they're just worse yeah (laughs) they're just worse they're just way worse than the original trilogy yeah and and that being said i think that there is a little bit of nuance there where like you get three movies Mm -hmm. right what are you going to convey in three movies whereas if you had a series i think that you could work in that politics you could work in the trade negotiations for sure but like with the with a movie centered around it? Why? Why? Like, <laughs> Why? Um, Especially when the point of the movie is to introduce Anakin. Yeah, right? which comes in an hour late. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think we need to have an episode where we just like tear into even more. Like it'll just be a podcast episode that says, here's why The Phantom Menace is bad. And we'll just have a whole <laughs> podcast episode about it. Another one, just a, a bad example. We talk about Expeditionary Force a lot. Um, I think yeah. it has I think it has some good but mostly bad world building going on. I would agree with that, yeah. Um, I think the biggest trope, that, like the thing that I wanted to highlight, the biggest thing that it falls into is that it has this habit of creating a species 
and making them extremely just monotone like where it's like this is the bad species and then this species is like the gambling species or something like that yeah and it's like no i would agree that's all that they do and it what it ends up happening is it's like okay like humans are so complex you know and we're so varied and there's so much nuance to an individual person and personality religion culture all the things that we talked about and the elements that are like so important and it's like how can an entire race like galactic galaxy spanning race have just this monotone feeling to it. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the, you totally fail. One thing. Right? One thing yeah, that defines them. It's it, we, we expect more nuance than that. And it doesn't mean that you have to like tell these really intricate stories from every single character. It just means that like if there are scenes where a character, a human character is interacting with a an alien of some kind, it needs to not feel like they're always talking to the same alien. Yeah, exactly. And you, you don't want to be able to predict what that conversation is going to look like. For sure. Yeah, For sure. I, I think that's a good point. I, I read Expeditionary Force for the comedy. Yeah. Not, not <laughs> the world funny. building. <laughs> not for the world building, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, totally. So, do you have any, like, bad examples of world building? I really don't. I think we read too many good books. We read too many good books. That's good, right? <laughs> yeah, no, t- yeah. So, I kind of what I've boiled down to, and the thing that, like, the core idea that I've really thought about with world building is kind of, like, how an author can introduce minuscule details and how those affect life. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not the overarching story, right? Like you can tell a story and it can be very bland. You don't ever have to understand about the necessarily about the politics or about the weather, or about, you know, the landscaping mm-hmm. about that. But it's like the details, if they add those in, but not overwhelmingly, they just kind of like get you to immerse into the field. And I, George R. R. Martin has a really good quote about this. Okay. Um, I'm going to read that now. So George R. R. Martin was the or is the writer of Game of Thrones. Yeah, we hope. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Song of Ice and Fire. So he he his quote is: "We read fantasy to find the colors again, to taste strong spices, and to hear the songs the sirens sang. There's something about old and true in fantasy that speaks to something deep within us. To the child who dreamt that one day he would hunt for the or he would hunt the forest of the night, and feast beneath the hollow hills, and find a love to last forever somewhere south of Oz and north of Shiring La." They can keep their heaven. When I die, I want to go to Middle Earth, which I, I thought was just like a really cool like we we read or like a lot of these fantasies provide an escape, right? It, it immerses you into the world. And I've used that word a lot. Like it, yeah. like it gets you into the world and it allows you to kind of like understand and like f- live into something and like the minuscule details. So like, like Sanderson does a really good job of this in a lot of his books, but like he describes, you know, the taste of the jam that right. they're eating on the bread or like the music in Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's things that could be taken out, but the story wouldn't feel as immersive or as great without them. Yeah. It's stuff like that where it's just like, it's not integral to the story, mm-hmm. but it helps you get into the story. Yeah, for sure. It's one of those things that must be so hard as an author. Cause I think they know like all of those details, but again, they can't, they can't write an encyclopedia. You know, they can't just like give us all of the details. But like, again, if you're comparing to our world, like if you take just even Europe, like think of all the tastes and smells yeah. and, and colors yeah. and sights and like, like all these like details that it's like, how would you even explain the difference in like middle Eastern cust- countries to like somebody who has never been there before and like walking them through that. It's like, you, ha- you have to do that. You have to be able to write it in such a way that they can see themselves walking down the street. That's just as important as being able to see themselves in like a fight scene. Absolutely. I had I also had a, a quote written down. Um, this this one's from uh, Tad Williams, who's not not someone I've read, but both uh, George R. R. Martin and Christopher Paolini referenced his 
Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn series, which awesome name, by the way. That's <laughs> yeah, a right? super yeah. dope name. Okay, okay. Um, and like the book isn't that. The book is titled, I forget, something else, but Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn was the, <laughs> the title of the series. And he, he wrote, very seldom do people say it's down in the battery district, which is where they used to keep the cannons hundreds of years ago. They just say it's down in the battery. And I thought that yep. was a really good way to like frame up like, oh, okay, that's why an author can't just tell you everything. But if you get that little like window, you get that little teaser into like, why is it called battery? You know, if you can get your reader to like yeah, ask that question, really cool. then all of a sudden it's like, okay, there's depth there. And that can be explained later it, because you already kind of like set it up. And once it's like, I'm, I need to have a, I need to have answers to a question. Like when I ask them, not before I ask them. Yeah, know? no, that, that I was actually about to say almost exactly that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how you get like nerds like us to write a podcast about a book. Yeah, right? exactly. Because <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. start questioning and then we look up the wiki and then yeah. we get way too far down the rabbit yeah, hole. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is the Valar? Yeah. <laughs> there are more rings? What? <laughs> right. Flame of Uno. Oh, no. <laughs> I got to go oh, figure oh, that, that out now. Good. But yeah, no, I, I, I've really enjoyed this discussion. I really, like, like I said before, like, this is something that I really enjoy talking about and like yeah. reading and like having those unanswered questions that the author can explain to me later or I can figure out, yeah. right? Rather than just telling me. Yeah. So, this was a fun one because like with the other writing topics, like we don't do it, but world building is something we do, right? Yeah. <laughs> it, through like RPG game and stuff like that, like there, there are. This, this is one that like we actually interact with. It's like, oh, I've done that before. Yeah, I've like, tried yeah. to work on like world building before. So it was a really fun topic to kind of like research. Now we're, we're not writing books. So like <laughs> those things of like working details and that's maybe not quite as important. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, how does language affect things? How does religion affect things? How does it like those were, how does weather affect things? Yeah, <laughs> those are really fun things to think through. And, and I really think that the more you read, the better GM you're going to be. Right? Oh, for like, sure. Because you can pull and it's like a lot of the obscure things you can straight up steal. Like don't, Oh, yeah. that, that <laughs> don't tell them don't tell them that but like like you can you can understand and see multiple different viewpoints of how people introduce religion how people introduce magic how people introduce you know landscaping yeah. and like pull from the things that you love and put them into your world yeah uh which i think would be like it's really cool i like i have just a one note of things that i just want to include or modify into a world that i build someday for yeah. when i actually have time to run another campaign right <laughs> but you have to or else like you start to run out of ideas right exactly. or you start to you start to remember like i remember there was things that i wanted to implement but i, I forgot yeah, exactly you know from all these great books that i've read and that sort of thing so. yeah but yeah no i've i've really enjoyed this conversation i've really enjoyed the whiskey good i'm glad yeah we'll I, keep that I up i poured right. myself another one so <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad so it's definitely it's definitely good i, I i'm feeling it so <laughs> good i will have another good one for you next time awesome i'm looking forward to it so if uh if you are just super curious about where to find more of us or more of our content we have a lot of spaces that you can do that you can find us on instagram you can find us on facebook twitter mm -hmm. we have a discord which i if i was to recommend two of those i'd say instagram and discord we're doing a lot of fun conversations in discord and yep. we're posting a lot of board game pictures on instagram yep so uh you can find us there fantasy and some flights you'll you'll be able to find us also our show notes are gonna be on the website yep. so the uh the website will kind of reference a bunch of these stuffs and give you links and everything to you know did you hear a book that you wanted to listen to uh mm -hmm. that we had talked about today yeah we'll, we covered a lot of books today yeah we, we covered a lot of books notes. so we'll also have some links to like additional reading if you're like looking to get more into world Absolutely, building we yeah. have some references for you to look at awesome yeah Good articles yeah no this has been a really fun episode and i'm looking forward to our next one yep looking forward to it cheers buddy cheers <laughs>